Anyways, welcome back to Chi Alpha. Thank you guys so much for pastor appreciation. We love you all so much. There's nothing else we'd rather spend our lives doing. So thank you for letting us be here and do these fun things. It's going to be good. Hope you guys are getting ready and excited for Missions Week coming up. It is one of our favorite weeks of the year. Get excited because not only do we get to have so much fun during the week, but we get to announce our mission trips, and mission trips can change your life. Stand up for me if you went on a mission trip last year. Come on. All right, now everyone's going to share their story of what God did in their hearts. I'm just kidding. You can sit back down now. Everyone just gave me the evil eye, like, don't you dare do that. So get excited. Next week's going to be really fun, and I think just a powerful week for us. Tonight, we're in part five of our six-part series entitled Becoming. We're exploring how we can become who Jesus created us to be. And we've been walking through these six different elements of what we call the discipleship pathway. So six way, or six things that help us grow closer to Jesus. Know God, know self, find friendship, find freedom, live mission. And then tonight, we're going to be discussing live service. Tonight, we're going to be reading a story from near the end of Jesus' time on earth. Jesus' disciples, his closest friends, had been following him for a couple of years now. And even though Jesus was teaching them and living with them, they still didn't quite understand what Jesus was trying to tell them. See, Jesus has been telling them that he came to establish a new kingdom, and this was going to be established through his suffering. This is different from what they expected. The disciples, they kept trying to fit Jesus inside of their box. They kept expecting Jesus to establish this kingdom through like a violent takeover of the Roman Empire, and that Jesus came to earth to establish himself as just like a physical king. That's what the disciples thought. But Jesus was not here for that. Jesus was not here to accumulate power and to rule. And he kept correcting them, saying, hey guys, I know you're excited, but you're a little off here. And they're like, ha I know you think we're off, but you're off. You will be the king. And they kept like arguing. It was really awkward. Two of Jesus' disciples were so fooled that they make this decision to have their mom, of all people, go to Jesus and ask if they can sit at his right and left in his kingdom. That's basically asking your mom to go to like your manager and saying, hey, yo, can my son or daughter be your assistant manager? Like That's a little bit weird. It's a little forward. My mom didn't give me my job, even though my brother had it before me, so maybe she did. Who knows? See, the disciples wanted earthly power, and they viewed Jesus as the way to get it. Matthew 20 says this. Let's read. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten heard it, that's the other disciples, when they heard that these two guys were trying to get a top spot, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servants, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these wonderful students and their kindness, their generosity of Pastor Appreciation Month. We love them so much, and we just pray that you can speak tonight. In your name, amen and amen. All right. Do me a favor, raise your hand if you did some sort of extracurricular activity growing up. All right, most people. Keep your hand up if it involved competition. 
For example, like a sport, doing band or choir, or speech competitions, something where there's a winner. All right, that's a big majority of people. You guys are going to understand. This is wonderful. Growing up, I did a lot of things competitively. I'm a pretty competitive person. It's actually my top strength on this thing called Strengths Finders, which probably is why I loved fall retreat fly football so much until I lost this year. But anyways, we're praying for that. So I played multiple sports growing up, but to be honest, sports was not the most competitive thing I did. I also cared a lot about school. I kind of turned that into a competition and wanted to be the best, but still that wasn't the most competitive part of my upbringing. The thing that was most competitive for me in my school was show choir. Any of you do show choir in high school? Raise your hand. Any of you? All right, there's some more weirdos in the house. Come on, baby, that's good. All right, for those of you who are confused, show choir is where you sing and dance a show, and you do so in order to compete with other schools. This might seem like, oh, a fun, good time. We're putting on a nice show. We're going to, like, do art. That's not my school. My school was about one thing. Show choir is all about achieving greatness. We cared a lot about winning. We wanted to become the greatest show choir in history. And we went to some pretty big extremes to make this happen. We had very intensive tryouts. And then if you're lucky enough to make it, we'd spend weeks learning choreography in the summer. And then after that, during the school year, show choir was one of my classes. So I went there every day to practice. And that wasn't enough. So we also had multiple nights a week where we'd go back to school and practice. On top of that, there was multiple weekends, about one or twice a month, we would go and train and learn and do everything to make our show great. It was pretty intense. I still, this is not a joke, I still have nightmares that I miss a practice and I don't know my dance moves. And like I'm on the stage in my nightmare and I'm like, I don't know how to do this right now and I feel so uncomfortable, like a failure. So yes, it is ingrained in my soul. And this is just the prep work before we even started. We would go all out for the performances. We had a huge stage design. We brought a big band. We would all wear makeup in order to make our faces pop. I wore mascara and blush as a grown man. Forgive me, please. We so badly wanted greatness that we drove all around really the country to compete. We went all the way to Florida in Orlando to compete at one of the largest competitions in the country. I actually have a video of it, so if you want to play that. Oh gosh, it's right. It's a fire. I'm the chubby guy on the right. This is Peter Pan, by the way. And now this will be my moment of glory. That is one handsome fellow. It's the best beard I could grow. That was my life in high school. We don't need to watch it again. That was me with the guitar, and I thought I was awesome. At our competition in Florida, I got to use the same wireless pack that Taylor Swift had once used at that same concert venue, and maybe that's why I have so many issues now. It's all connecting. I didn't even process any of that. See, you saw that huge stage design of that, like, boat? 
We literally took that thing to Florida. Then like two weeks later, we took it to Chicago just to achieve greatness. We did win that Florida national competition, so that was fun, and we were really proud. We thought we were awesome. We went back, and like some people in the show choir fought with people on the football team about how much better we were. I was on bowl, so I just felt uncomfortable. But fun fact also, Pastor Casey was just up up here. Her husband was the drummer in that band, so we go way back. We did whatever it took to be great. This prospect of greatness led me to give up a lot of time to practice. We all invested a ton of our parents' money so we could have that. And we wore the most embarrassing things in the world. That, that costume's actually, I think, the first picture Taylor ever saw of me was wearing that. She's like, ah, he can't be the one for me, right? But look, it worked out all right. Come on. We all have this longing to be great. This is why we have debates over who's the best, right? Michael Jordan or LeBron James, who is the greatest of all time? The answer is LeBron, in case you're curious. Oh, no one, usually people yell at me when I say, this is a good day. Is Taylor Swift or Beyonce the GOAT? Who is the greatest school? Who has the greatest team? What's the greatest product, Apple or Android? We're constantly trying to figure out what is the greatest. And Android people are really grumpy about it. Like, Androids are better and you know nothing because you have an iPhone, so step off. Anyways, like, enjoy green messages. It's fine. We'll pray for you. This is because there's something deep inside of us that actually we want to make a difference. Go with me for a second. We want to make a difference and we want to be remembered. We want to make an impact on our world. And society has taught us that the key to making a difference is through achieving greatness. What's this common thread between great people in our society? All these people that we think of are usually attractive, they're famous, they're skilled, they're above other people. We literally look up to them on a stage. They achieve greatness through looking out for themselves, devoting their whole lives to a craft, to becoming better than people, to achieving their goals and having people adore them for it, right? See, greatness to our world comes through achievement, fame, acclaim, and being better than other people. Greatness is about exalting self. But is that true greatness? The story we just read tonight shows that according to Jesus, it is not. And we like to think Jesus is the true goat around here, so what he says goes. See, the disciples, they were focused on greatness, remember? They wanted to become somebody to have an earthly kingdom. They thought the way to do this was to have power to lord it over people. But Jesus took their expectations and he flips them upside down. Jesus wasn't after an earthly kingdom, but rather Jesus came to establish an upside down kingdom. When we think of a kingdom, we think of the king at the top of the food chain. And then underneath the king and queen, we've got like princes and princesses, knights, the nobility, and then peasants at the bottom, right? Think about organization maybe. You've got the CEO at the top. Then you've got maybe the vice presidents in that second level. Maybe you've got managers in that third level. And then there's the normal employees who get the part-time salary at the bottom. See, what Jesus came to do, though, is to, when he was establishing his kingdom, he told his disciples that that is not the hierarchy. He actually came to flip it upside down. And the disciples, they thought Jesus was coming to establish a normal kingdom. And they knew that they weren't going to be on the top of this pyramid But they thought maybe we could be those second row people. Like, that's a pretty good gig. They're close. They could be served by people. They could lead people. They'd have authority over somebody. They thought they'd be great because people would look up to them and serve them. But Jesus turns it upside down. Jesus tells us that the greatest of us is actually the least of these. He says greatness isn't about getting to the top, but greatness is actually about lowering ourselves to the bottom. According to Jesus, greatness is found in lowering self. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, the greatest, the best, is the person at the bottom. And that is so countercultural 
Our lives are literally all about getting to the top, but climbing a corporate ladder, having the best family, making the best friends, winning this silly show choir competition, making the top band, getting the starting spot. But Jesus is telling us that we have it all wrong. That greatness is not found in living a life just for ourselves. Living to build your resume, living to get a great job, living to make yourself the most comfortable is not what Jesus is about. Just think about it. All these things we're doing in so much of our lives are about setting ourselves up. We try hard in school and devote our time to homework for me. That doesn't benefit anyone else. We spend all of our time working to make money to have security for me. We spend all of our time practicing so people can think we're great at a sport or an instrument so we can look good for me. Even things like working out, going to a gym, we do it so I can look good, so I can be healthy. It's all about me. And none of those things are bad. Please get good grades. Please, it's okay to have money. Please work out. Being healthy is a very good thing, but those things are all so me-focused. If we get to the root of it, how much of what we do is just about me? That's not the heart of Jesus. Our culture has told us from literally the time we were born that our lives are self-centered, that we need to look out for ourselves and achieve worldly greatness by becoming somebody and exalting ourselves. So we do whatever we can to look out for our appearance and our achievement. But we never stop to ask, are we striving and doing all this work for true greatness or just greatness according to the world? See, one of my main goals here in Chi Alpha is for us to realize that we've gotten this messaging from the world around us. There's a narrative the world is telling us. And then there's a narrative that Jesus tells us. And usually they're at odds with each other. It is so countercultural to think that our lives are supposed to be about something other than just our own selves. Because that's what we've been told since we were born, right? That's what social media teaches us. But Jesus was never self-centered. We are called to live for truth. And hear me. I know that this is really hard. It's hard to undo years and years of messaging from the world. Because greatness through self-promotion is really deeply wired in us. Just a couple weeks ago, I was at our national Chi Alpha headquarters doing some training. So I spent this week with my boss's boss's bosses, like the top people in all of Chi Alpha world. There's six people at the top, and I met with one of them back to back to back. And the world would tell me that I need to spend this week impressing these people, telling them how awesome Chi Alpha is, our group, like say, hey, we're pretty great, and this is a great group of Chi Alpha, so I'm like, I should show you all off. I'm with my bosses, I gotta prop myself up a little bit so I can go somewhere in the world. That messaging's deep in my brain, right? I caught myself often getting ready to say something that like exalt self or exalt our Chi Alpha. I looked at their nice offices, and I'm like, dang, that'd be fun. I office in my house with two crying twins always next door. An office could be fun. What would it look like to be great here? Throughout this week, I had to constantly remind myself that I'm not there to promote me. I'm not there to look good to people. We're, we don't live to be somebody to somebody else. That's not our job. That's not greatness. And I'll be honest, I often failed during that week. Caught myself falling in the narrative of the world, thinking, I got to look good. These are my bosses. I just need to keep you reminded that that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not looking out for ourselves. The way of Jesus, the way of greatness found in lowering ourselves. So I encourage you, take an inventory of all the things you do and ask yourself, how many of these things really only benefit me? 
I encourage you, do something without thinking what's in this for me. Do something and do things for people just to love them. And then take an inventory of your thought life. How many of the things that I think about are me-focused? And how often am I thinking about something greater than just myself? And when we do that, we can get kind of a, some data about what our lives are really centered on and then try to grow and adjust, right? So the beauty in this is that as we lower ourselves, we have an opportunity to exalt and raise up others because greatness is found in raising and exalting others. Greatness is found in exalting other people. As we lower ourselves, we leave a place at the top of our lives and the top of society for other people. In that story we read, Jesus tells his disciples that the ones who would be first would be actually your slave. So is Jesus telling them that you need to sell yourself into slavery and not own yourself anymore? No, that's not what he's getting at. See, the New Testament, what we're reading out of tonight, was actually written in the Greek language. And the Greek word that we translate to slave is doulos. Say doulos. Doulos. You sounded so excited, like, doulos, it's Halloween, and I am spooky now. (laughs) Doulos is directly translated to mean being devoted to one another without regard of one's own interest, giving self up for another's will. So basically, it means to do stuff for other people without regard to how it impacts me. We are to devote our lives to other people without worrying about our own interests. See, in our society, we are told to do good things and be a good person. We're told, be kind, be generous, do good, as long as it doesn't hurt you. For example, be generous, donate money. Don't forget to get the tax credit afterwards so it can benefit you later. You're told you can sacrifice time for other people, as long as it doesn't hurt your bank account, your grades, your family. You can go on a mission trip, as long as you don't have to miss family time over spring break. You can give to feed one as long as you still have enough money left over for Starbucks. Ooh, that one hurts me. I drink too much Starbucks. It's kind of an addiction. Lord, forgive me. See, even in our sacrifices in our culture, we have a provision to look out for ourselves. But that is not the way of Jesus. We are to disregard own interests and live for the betterment of other people. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself, as Jesus commands us in Matthew 22. And I don't say these things to condemn you, to make you feel bad, Because I get it, I'm in this world too. I've grown up just in the same way you guys have, where the world is telling us look out for self, but I have to also realize that that's just not correct. See, just the other day I was in the gym and I felt a push from the Holy Spirit to go talk to someone about Jesus. That's a way to exalt someone else is telling them about Jesus, right? No better way to be exalted than giving someone an opportunity to have their sins forgiven, to have their lives radically changed by the good news of Jesus and to find life from God. That would be exalting them. But in order to talk to someone about Jesus and have a, conversation with them, it would require me to lower myself. Because going up and talking to some stranger is humbling. It's kind of awkward. That's not my best interest. Bro had AirPods in. I'm like, no, this is me awkward. I have to tap him on the shoulder and look like a fool. See, God was calling me saying, Derek, go sacrifice yourself for that guy. And I chickened out. I made an excuse. I was like, bro, those AirPods are loud. I I don't want to get in the way of him. That'd be weird. Because I wasn't willing to lower myself to potentially exalt someone else. So I understand the struggle, but I also want us to go on a journey as a Chi Alpha of looking through the lens of not what's best for me, but what's best for other people. So one very small thing I want to encourage you with is this next week in conversations, I want you to really engage the people you're talking about. That's a way to, or talking to, excuse me, it's a way to exalt them. Often in conversations, we're worried about what we can say next, right? What's the next thing that we're going to say? How are we going to respond? That's not about others. 
Be genuinely interested in the people you're talking to. Lower yourself. Don't feel the need to talk about yourself the whole time. Think about a small group. How can you exalt others? How can you encourage others not to be worried about how you're going to respond, but actually actively listening to people to try to engage in conversation. Exalt people through the very simple act of giving them your attention. So we understand greatness is found in lowering ourselves and then exalting other people. As we live to lower ourselves and then exalt people, we start to have this combination that leads us to live service. Matthew 20, 26 says this, it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. It doesn't say that whoever will be great among you must do service-like things. It doesn't say whoever will be great among you must go do serve projects or serve the food bank once. No, it says they are to be a servant. That means they are to live a life of service, a life about loving the people around us. See, in this moment, Jesus is testing the resolve of his disciples. The disciples said that they were willing to do whatever it took to be great. They were willing to work hard, go and fight the Roman Empire, do whatever it took to take them down. But Jesus was asking, are you willing to go so far as to become a servant? So my question for you tonight is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to be great? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to live a life that is worth emulating? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be great in the eyes of God? Because if so, the question is, are you willing to be a servant? That's greatness according to Jesus, living to serve other people. See, we will work ourselves to the bone for things like school, music, sports, things for us. Will we work hard to serve other people, though? Will we lower ourselves to exalt others? The Greek word for the word servant is diakonos. Diakonos directly translates to executing the commands of a master. So this is what it looks like to live service. We are called to execute the commands of our master, as in Jesus. So this looks like living out the calling of God over our own lives in order to best serve the people around us. So as we look at this idea of living service, I think we can break it down into two parts, all right? So number one, we live service through doing what no one wants to do. We live service through doing what no one wants to do. This is the base level of living service, doing the things that aren't necessarily fun for the people around us. We live service through cleaning up, through sacrificing time, getting kind of dirty for the kingdom of God. So here's the reality. No one wants to take the trash out. If you do, there's something wrong with you. Taking the trash out is horrible, especially when you have a bunch of diapers in there. Try doubling it. It smells horrid. No one likes taking the trash out, but it's got to be done, right? Someone's got to do it. And there are certain things in life that just have to be done. And we need to be humble enough to not think so highly of ourselves like, ah, I can't do that. No, we need to be humble enough to willing to serve people in whatever way. A great example of this is a couple of years ago at our annual classy Christmas party. Side note, get excited. If you think you've been to a fun Kyle party and you haven't been to classy Christmas, you've got no idea. Classy Christmas is about to blow your stinking mind. You're going to see people dancing, getting rowdy. There's poker. We don't gamble real money. I think they gamble like chocolate stuff. But anyways, it gets, it gets pretty crazy. At this party, myself and Noah Ruckty, who was one of our Chi Alpha interns, he now serves as our youth pastor at church, we walk to the back of the church in the kids' wing, and we start to smell something as we're walking back there. It smelled like burnt chocolate. And then we get there, and we realize that the church was flooding with leftover hot chocolate. See, there's something, I don't know how it happened. We dumped hot chocolate we burned, down the sink. Somehow it ended up on the floor of the kids' wing. I still have no clue how that happened. But anyways, we walk back there, and it's literally like standing chocolate. 
And so we're like, okay, what do we do now? So Noah wanted to serve. So he's like, I got this. So he went and grabbed John Griffin, Casey's husband. They took off their suit jackets. Oh, we dress up at Classy Christmas. Last year, Pastor Victor and I both wore turtlenecks and gold chains, and we looked kind of sexy. Anyways, <laughs> they took off their suit jackets. They rolled up their sleeves, and they began to clean up. Did they want to be cleaning up gross chocolate during the party? No, but someone had to do it. And so they lowered themselves. They sacrificed what they wanted so that everyone else could keep having fun. No one else even knew what was happening because they were willing to serve other people. That's how you live service. We want to do hard stuff even when no one wants to do it. And let me be real with you guys. That, that's not me. Like, I hate cleaning. I hate all that stuff. I'm back for like, oh, this is horrible. Lord, take the chocolate away or something. Or I was like, Noah, should we just walk away and act like we didn't see it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. That'd be bad. My brother's pastor of the church. I'd get in a lot of trouble. But I know doing these things can be challenging, not something we want to do, but it has to be done. And that's an easy way to live service. So when we think of this idea of serving other people, this is usually what we think of, right? Doing these kind of dirty things. But it goes beyond this. While, yes, we need to start by doing the things no one else wants to do, the second thing we can do is we live service through doing what we were made to do. Let me unpack this. The beauty of the kingdom of God is that each and every one of us are uniquely wired with specific giftings. God created you on purpose. God created you on purpose and with a purpose. You are unique image bearer of the kingdom of God. You can serve the people around you through operating in the unique giftings that God has given you. God has made you with a specific purpose in mind. And your job as a Jesus follower is to live out those giftings to serve the people around you. Not to exalt yourself and to look awesome to the people around you, but to serve the people around you. For example, Thomas and Ryan are two of our small group leaders, and they're gifted in organization. They can lead well. They just get things done. So this past summer, we decided to have them take over our setup teardown team. And since doing so, our setup and teardown has gotten way faster. We've got to add multiple elements. Look at these little things. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. It's hanging. We've got paintings. We've got stuff. Remember the last time we had all those TVs that were heavy, and then it's about to get crazy in two weeks. It's going to change again, and I'm excited for it. But all these things can happen. We can add elements that help the vibe of the room to help us worship Jesus because they're using their giftings to serve us. And that doesn't seem like a gifting, right? It's like, oh, there's organized and they can move stuff. That's a gifting, I promise you, because it's helped us. And you are created with gifts. And God is asking you, will you use those gifts not for yourself, but for other people? So doing things like practicing an instrument or singing is not a bad thing. Whatever your craft is, whatever you're gifted to do, be devoted to it. Try to go, grow, get good at things. But do so with the goal being to serve other people, not so other people can serve you and think you're awesome. That is true greatness. Hear me, greatness is not laziness. This idea of living as a servant is not an excuse to just lay around all day and like, I don't need to be, I don't want to exalt myself, so I'm going to lower myself onto the couch and watch Netflix all day. No, that's not greatness. Greatness is not laziness. Greatness in the kingdom of God is working really, really hard at something in order to serve other people. Working really hard at whatever you're uniquely designed to do to exalt the people around you. True greatness is not mediocrity. No, true greatness is doing things for the glory of God and the betterment of other people. So my question is, what has God designed you to do? What is your gift? What are you uniquely able to do? 
If God has given you a gift of, let's say, working with children, I know a lot of you are probably teaching majors. You're the best teacher in the world with the sole goal of raising up the next generation. Are you intelligent? Are you really handy? Are you outgoing? Whatever it is, use this gifting to serve the kingdom of God. And I know that some of you are wrestling with this thought. You may not say it out loud, but I know you're thinking it. Some of you are thinking, Derek, I don't have any gifts. There's nothing I'm that good at. How am I supposed to use my gifts when I'm not that special? And to be frank with you, I would just disagree with what you said. Because I believe everyone is gifted at something. The hard part is, is the thing you're gifted at might look very, very different than what the people around you are good at. For example, if all your small group is like really musical and they're all on the worship team, and you're there and you're like, you can't sing anything, and you're the people we want to put in the back so we, the rest of us don't hear you sing during worship. I'm just kidding, we wouldn't do that. Well, let's say you don't have that gift, and it might be you feeling like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm not good at anything. They're all good at the same thing, I'm not good at it. No, it's not that you're not gifted, you're just not gifted in what they're gifted in. So you have some unique gifting, and it might look different than the people around you. And that's actually a great thing. Because if no one around you is doing the thing that you feel like you're gifted to do, it means we're missing you. It means you have a place here, we need you. Just because what you're good at and called to do is different or not on a stage or in the spotlight does not mean it isn't useful. So if you're trying to figure out what you're gifted and how you can serve, my encouragement is find out the things that you really enjoy doing and then find the things that you're also good at, put them together and find a way to serve. So that might be one struggle. Another struggle you might be having right now is when you look at your giftings, you're like, well, I'm really good at this, but I wish I was really good at that. Like, you're not satisfied with the card you've been dealt from the Lord. You wish you had a different talent. For example, I really, really wish the Lord would have made me like 6'6", and I could have jumped, because I have a deep desire to dunk a basketball. I would love to dunk on Tyler Walker specifically. He is really tall and good at basketball, so I would get a lot of joy on dunking on him. It's not my gifting, right? A real example of this is growing up, I really, really wanted to be a worship leader. I want to do what Trey does. I love music. But see, here's the problem. I'm not a great singer. I can kind of be on tune, kind of. I, was on, I can sing on tune enough to be on the show choir, but not to get the solo on the show choir. You saw me playing the guitar, right? It's because I couldn't sing as well. I wasn't that gifted at it, and it bothered me because it's what I wanted to do and felt like I was supposed to do. But I wasn't good at it. And the reason this bothered me so much is because I was looking at the way to serve my calling all about me. What do I want to do? How do I want to serve? How do I want to do this? It was all me focused. It's about what I wanted, how I wanted to serve. I want to be seen to be somebody. But what we must realize is your gifting is not for you to be seen. Your gifting is not about you at all. The thing God is asking you to do is about how can you serve the people around you, remember? So I had to come to this realization that, you know, life's actually not about exalting me. It doesn't really matter if that's what I really want to do. If that's not what God has asked me to do, then I need to do something different. Started to try different things, and eventually I started preaching what I'm doing right now. I enjoyed it, and I like to think I'm better at it than when I'm singing. Maybe not. If so, please don't tell me. That'll hurt my feelings. But that's what I think God has asked me to do. So I would have kept trying to spin my wheels doing a thing that I wasn't that good at because I wanted to out of selfish desire, wanted to be somebody that I wasn't. I would have missed out on finding what God actually asked me to do. Plus, our community would be missing this piece. The Lord is smart. He knew that, at least in this season of life, that he's going to gift us Trey. And Trey can lead worship. We don't need another worship leader like Trey. He can do that. But I had a role I had to fill. In your small group, with our whole Chi Alpha and your family, there's a role you're supposed to fill. And just because it looks different than people around you, just because it doesn't seem as important, doesn't mean it's not. We need you. That's why it's important for you to go to small group. 
The reason you go to small group is not just for you to grow. It's important for you to grow, right? However, the small group, when you're not there, they're missing you. There's a piece of you that they need. For your small group to function in the best way possible, you need to be there because you play an important part. You are, however big your small group is, between like 5 to 60% of your small group, right? You are important. It's important when you're there, not just for you to grow, but so that you can help the people around you. Maybe there's something in small group that someone else needs to hear that only you could say. Maybe there's an experience you've had that no one else has, and when you're gone, the small group is missing out on that opportunity. So you can serve your small group. The easiest way is just showing up. That's step one. And then we'll start operating in giftings. If you're like really hospitable and can bake, bake something. Bring it to small group or bring it to my house if you don't want to bring it to your small group. That's fine too. The Apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He talks about the body of Jesus, like the church, as a physical body. He uses imagery. And he says the body has many members. So think about a physical body. There's ears, there's eyes, mouth, arms. Just like how there's many members of the physical body, the body of Jesus, the church, also has many different members, many different parts. We're called to just do our part really well. So if God created you as an ear, quit worrying about trying to see everything and just listen up. Just be the best ear you could ever be. Don't compare yourself to the eyes or the arms, the mouth. Just be an ear. We need an ear. Amen? Amen. Be really good at what you're called to do. I do want to clarify something, though. This is not an excuse to get out of doing the first thing, which is doing what no one wants to do. You're like, hey, I, God did not design me to clean toilets, okay? Like, God is not asking me to, to roll carts. That's not my gifting. I'm more gifted in singing and being on stage, so I'm ready to be served. Hello. No, that is not an excuse to say, oh, I don't have to do the hard things. It's what we start with doing what no one wants to do, but after that, we do what we are designed to do. See, that's actually one of the reasons we have everyone who's on our worship team, they come and do set up teardown beforehand because they need to serve and do things that it's not as fun before they can serve and be on a stage. So before you use your giftings on a stage, it's good to do some grunt work. Our setup teardown team would love to have you. Talk to Thomas and Ryan. Isn't that right, boys? We're there, they're somewhere around here. Amen. Thomas, give me a fist bump. Service in the kingdom of God means we are all called to play our part. This means doing both what no one wants to do and what we are called and created to do. So how can we practically do this? We've got a few quick things. How to live service. The easiest way is, number one, serve on a team. Serve on a team. We have multiple teams here at Chi Alpha to make all this work. We have our connect team where you greet people, the smiley people who are not so, I'm just kidding, they're always smiley. Smiley people who are welcoming us into the door. Newsflash, you don't have to be super outgoing to be on the connect team. You don't have to be that outgoing to just smile. You don't have to talk if you don't want to. Just do a fist bump. That's fine with me. Whatever it takes. But if you are outgoing and bubbly and one of those bright, shiny people, you better get your fanny on the connect team anyways. We have set up teardown team because we, we have to put all this stuff together, right? Every week at five, a group gathers, they set it up, and then they go and come back later, and they put it all away at the end. You don't have to be super strong. You don't have to know a lot. Guess what? I think there was like one or two people on our whole set of teardown team week one this year who had been on it the year before. So none of us knew what we were doing. It was really fun. But we'll teach you how to do this stuff. You don't have to feel called to wrap cables. You just wrap cables. You could also join the worship team if you're gifted musically. We have our photography team. We have a tech team. And you don't have to really know how to do a whole lot. You don't need prior knowledge. We'll teach you. Social media team, there's a lot of opportunities here to serve at Chi Alpha. So if you want to join a team, go to that link, northerniowaxa.com slash serve, and sign up and serve on a team. My prayer is that everyone in Chi Alpha will serve at least on one team. Because it's just not because we need you. Here's the beauty of this is we had a worship team today, right? We had a connect team. We had a setup teardown team. We had all these teams. So we didn't need you to make it happen. We already made it happen. 
So it's not that I want something from you, I want something for you, and I think it's good for your soul to serve. So this isn't a pitch to try to recruit people, because we would love to have you, we don't need you, because you've been doing it. But I think God has something for you that can only come through service. Number two, be a servant leader. Leaders are called to serve. That's what Jesus, every time he asks what his leadership look like in his kingdom, he says, serve, serve, serve. My encouragement for you is to not be afraid to step into leadership. Don't be afraid to step into leadership. On our campus, we're a very, I love you and I, we're a very kind campus, but most people on our campus have some sense of like not wanting to step on other people's toes, right? Like, ah, I don't want to lead, I don't want to overstep, right? I want to be kind. We're the small town Iowa kids. And there can be a fear of leadership out of humility. It is not humble to always be the follower, right? It's not humble to always be the person getting led. Sometimes the humble thing to do is to step into leadership and be willing to lead other people. We need to push off this weird idea that we all have to sit in the back row and sometimes be someone who's like, I'm going to be a front row leader who runs after the kingdom of God. God is probably asking you to lead in some way. Who knows what that looks like? But God is asking to be willing to count the cost, to lower yourself, to exalt other people, which is leadership, and to say, I'm going to lead people around me closer to Jesus. Everyone is called to leadership in some form and capacity. God is asking you to not give into apathy, but instead to step into a God-given calling of leading other people. There's a lot of different ways this could look, right? One very easy way in Chi Alpha world is obviously small group leading. That'd be great. We'd love you to lead a small group next year. Do DTC now to learn how to be discipled. The next semester, we're going to have our leadership training class, LTC. you got to do that. So then you can learn how to lead people. Small group leading is a great way to serve. But you don't have to wait until next year and become a small group leader. You can start leading people now. Serve your small group now. Lead your small group through volunteering to get snacks. Lead your small group through inviting people to your small group. Lead your small group through creating hangouts for your small group. Serve your small group through speaking up and not making your small group leaders do all the talking. We can live for others. We can serve people right now. Serve your small group from the current chair you're in. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group and then serve that small group, right? We're all called to lead and be servant leaders, not for ourselves, but for other people. Number three, organize a serve day. Organize a time where you and some friends, you and your small group, you go and do something like go to the food bank and you serve there. Or you go to Scent Church and you clean up all the thousand weeds we have to clean up all the time. Or you go and you pick up sticks somewhere. I don't care what it looks like. Go find some place to serve and lower yourself and serve our community. And organize it. Don't wait for someone else to organize the day. You organize the day to go and serve with your small group. Finally, number four, find a way to serve every day. It's quite simple. I think sometimes when we think of this idea of service, it can be kind of overwhelming. Like we have to go, I gotta go move to a different country and be a missionary and serve those people. You don't have to start there. Maybe start with doing someone's dishes. Your roommate's dishes that you complain about and like vent and get angry about, maybe just do them for a day. Granted, don't be walked all over by your roommate if they continue to not do their dishes and have a conversation. We'll talk about conflict some other time. But serve people that way. Serve through generosity. Buy someone a meal. Buy a person's coffee. Find a small way. Open the door for someone. Little reminders, little things. Little steps of service every day compounded will lead to big-time results. So start with serving people. Maybe when you go home over Thanksgiving break, it could look like doing the dishes at your family's house, serving your parents, being kind. Be nice to your younger siblings. I'm the youngest. Be nice to your younger siblings. They love you and they miss you right now. They want you to come back. They're lonely. And if not, they're lying to you. They miss you. All is right. And only children will pray for you. Taylor's an only child. That's my wife. All right, worship team, you can come on forward. Jesus didn't just teach on living service, though. Jesus also demonstrated it. In John chapter 13, 
we read a story of Jesus and his disciples, his closest friends. It's this, actually his last dinner he has with them before he goes and dies on the cross. Jesus knows that he's about to go die for the sins of humanity. He's about to experience suffering for mankind. He's about to serve us in the most gruesome way possible. But before doing this, if it was me, if I'm about to go die for everyone, I'm going to like spend the night before like chilling. I'm going to get myself some nice coffee. I'm going to watch Gilmore Girls, which I've currently started watching, which is incredible. I'm going to have a me day, all right? I'm going to serve everyone tomorrow. That's not how Jesus decides to spend this day. Let's read John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, meaning he knew he was going to die, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he, Jesus, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus was washing his disciples' smelly, disgusting feet. That's the God of the universe. You know the guy who created everything? You know the guy that was going to go die for humanity, for the sins of all of us? You know that guy? He's washing feet. That is our example. This is how we're to live. Jesus did not live to exalt himself. but Rather, the very king of kings lives to lower himself so he could exalt his friends. Jesus lived service. Jesus lived service. That should move us to live service. Jesus is showing us what greatness looks like. Jesus is the goat, yet he washed feet. That's greatness. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you got to be like Jesus, which means you need to live service. The main idea tonight is greatness is found in living service. This past spring break, I and some of our Chi Alpha students in here went to Turkey on a mission trip. whole concept of a mission trip you're supposed to go to a cross-cultural context in order to serve people in whatever way is possible. And if I'm honest with you, a lot of our Turkey trip wasn't really serving. It was more of a vision trip. We were getting a heart from Muslim people. It wasn't a lot of, like, grunt work. But one of the days, we did have an opportunity to serve. We were to spend our day cleaning up the little small church building for this Turkish church that we were partnered with. So the guys were sent outside to clean up the yard. We walk out. I'll be honest, a little gross. There's, like, standing mud, and it's it was not looking great. Jordan and I, one of our small group leaders, we were in this tiny shed, like killing spiders and trying to clean up and hose down stuff. It was a very muddy shed. But the most memorable part of that day and possibly the whole trip for me was there's like this little kind of garage thing that was right next to the backyard. And so I walk in there and it's legit flooded, like waters to here, gross, muddy water. And there's so much stuff in there, so nasty. And I'm not manly. And I don't like getting dirty. Like, you know those little kids who like roll around in mud? That was not me. That ain't it. If my boys do that, then one of you can clean them up. But anyways, so I walk into this muddy, gross room. And I'm like tiptoeing around like, oh gosh, Lord, help me. I don't want to get dirty. I got white shoes on, trying to not get dirty. And then the guy gives me some garbage bags. So I take these huge garbage bags and I have to walk like, it seemed like four miles. It was a couple feet like, down the street to go put them in the put him in some guy's dumpster, and then another guy started yelling at me in Turkish, and I didn't know what he was saying. But anyway, that's besides the point. So I drop those off and come back. I'm a little annoyed. I'm like, I don't want to carry these stupid garbage bags. But I come back, and this Turkish man, he's still in the garage, and this Turkish guy who leads this church, 
was just in there going to town. He's like cleaning stuff, chucking stuff, getting all in the mud. He was really dirty. Grabbing garbage, this 50-year-old man is serving. We were the ones on the mission trip. We are the ones sent to serve them. Yet the whole time, this dude is serving us. He kept trying to throw tea down my mouth, like drink more tea, I want to serve you. Like, I don't want any more tea, I hate tea. But he kept serving us, he kept serving us food, he kept trying to clean up after us. We were on the mission trip. The goal of the mission trip is to serve. And I was being royally outserved by the literal leader of the church. That pastor lived service. It wasn't about him. You see, often in culture, like pastors can get like an ego or something, like, oh, it's about me. That's not this guy. This pastor was not paid for his job. He didn't give a rip because there's not enough money in a Turkish church to pay him. So he had a completely different job, but he gave time to live service, to pastor this church, to come and serve and clean up with us when we didn't, he didn't need to come help us. He just wanted to serve. That man was like Jesus. Jesus would not be the one tiptoeing around the dirt. Jesus would be the one getting in the dirt, cleaning up to serve the people around him. That's what Jesus did for us. This guy showed me Jesus, and he showed me that at least I got some room to grow. And I think if we're honest, many of us are like me. We want to serve. We got some room to grow. We're still a little too me-focused. So maybe you need to start by thinking a little bit less about yourself. Turn your eyes to exalting others. If all your thoughts and worries and fears and stresses are you, maybe you need to change that. We can often tell what's most important to us by what stresses us out the most. We're always worried about me. Me might be our God. So maybe you need to start by thinking about other people. I know I do. Or maybe you need to learn to live service through doing the things that no one wants to do. Cleaning up, getting dirty. Maybe it looks like you need to find your giftings and start operating in them. Maybe you have some gifting that you've been hiding or that you're too nervous because you don't want to seem prideful by showing this gifting, but really it's you serving our community. Maybe it's that. All I know is you are called to serve because we're on this journey, right? We talked about from the very beginning of week one, we're on a journey of a lifetime with God. And then we moved into this idea of becoming who Jesus created us to be. We're on a journey of becoming like Jesus. And a part of that journey is learning how to serve. The story we started with tonight ends with this verse. It says, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus showed us the ultimate act of service when he died for us. Jesus served us and loved us enough. Jesus, the only one who deserved to be served, our God King, gave everything to serve us. Jesus served us through dying on a cross and paying for our sins. And now we, out of gratitude, should do the thing that God asks us to do, which is to love his people. We can serve Jesus through serving the people around us. I want you to imagine this world. Imagine a world where we understand the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for my sins and now I get to live for other people. And if we live that way, imagine a world where we all weren't focused on promoting ourselves. Imagine a world where we're trying to outserve each other. Imagine a world where there'd be so much joy because we're constantly just trying to exalt everyone else. Things would get done, gifts would be operated in, and people would have so much life. It'd be a serving party. That can be our Chi Alpha. We can get there. We can be a place where we live for the betterment of everyone else, a place where we want to become like Jesus. We can be a people who live service. It sounds like a pretty beautiful place to live if I do say so myself. You'd all stand with me. If you're here tonight 
and you haven't accepted that first payment of Jesus on the cross, and you haven't accepted him dying for your sin, and you want to start there tonight, and you want to say, Jesus, you're my Lord. If you've never let Jesus serve you in this best way possible through accepting his free gift of grace, and you've been trying to do this life on your own, and you want to change that tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. So if everyone will close your eyes and bow your heads, if you're here tonight, and you want to serve Jesus, and give him your life, and accept his gift, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a symbol to him. No one's looking around, but it's a symbol to God. So that's when you want to give your life to Jesus. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray. A couple people raise their hands. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for dying for us, Jesus. Thank you for giving us this free gift of grace and for serving us the most beautiful way possible. Amen. Amen. What I want to do for the rest of our time as we sing this last song together is I want you to just open your hands like this if you want to be someone who lives service. So that's you, and you want to live service, just open your hands right now to God. And let me pray over you. Jesus, I pray that we will be a Chi Alpha that lives service. God, that we'll be open-handed to whatever you ask us to do, Jesus. That we will not live to exalt ourselves, but we will live for other people, Jesus. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my lack of a servant heart, Jesus. Forgive us for our lack of a servant's heart, God. And we pray that we will be better tomorrow than we were today. Jesus, help us take one step on this journey of serving you through serving the people around us. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen, amen. We're gonna sing one more song together. Let's worship.